Hey friends, are you one of the millions of people who struggle with sin, but feel like you can never really get fully over it? Our guest today shares how he conquered a pornography addiction and how your church can help right now. This is a bit of a sensitive topic. Obviously, don't listen with your children in the car or whatever, but it is uh, a really important one. I love the way that our guest handles this idea and the hope that he offers. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 353, Sam Black and the Journey of Freedom. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I am your humble host, Eric Nevins. Thanks for being here. Glad that you have downloaded this episode and you're listening. Going to be a great conversation today. Before we dive into that, let me just remind you, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. That's where we keep our show notes. Show notes are where we have links to everything we talked about. There's uh, there's all the stuff, links to uh, different uh, books, if we mention those, all that kind of thing for every single episode of Halfway There. So you can find it all right there. Be sure to check in. And uh, also there, if you wanted to contribute to the show, you can hit the Patreon button. Some of you do that. I really do appreciate it. You help out just even $5, $10 a month really does help go a long way to keeping the show running. Also, you can always send over a text to your friend with this episode on it. Be sure to share. That is the best compliment you can give us. Okay, let's dive into this conversation. Our guest, he's the author of the book, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography, and he's the director of Life Change Education at Covenant Eyes, Sam Black. Sam, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, Eric, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. We're going to have fun. Me too. I think it's going to be great. I'm excited that uh, we were able to connect. We met up at the National Religious Broadcasters, and I was so impressed by the way you and your team uh, were sharing and talking about what obviously is a pretty difficult issue to talk about sometimes. And uh, I was I was glad to just uh, see it and knew I had to get you on the show to hear a little bit of your story. So tell us a little bit about, like, it's, it's a lot to say you're an author and, uh, you know, this director of life change education, but what does that mean? And where does God have you right now? Isn't that amazing? So I spent uh, 18 years as a journalist before I joined the Covenant Eyes team 16 years ago. And over that 16 years, I've spoken literally one-on-one with thousands of men and women who have gone through a struggle with pornography, who have embarked on a journey toward freedom. Mm. And I wrote The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It, because I could see that so many people who had gone on a healing journey were saying, man, I'm on the other side of this. I'm ready to give back. But you know what? My church didn't help me very much. In fact, I had to go outside the church, it seemed, to really find help and support. And that's not God's plan. God's plan is the church. And so I really wrote this book, one, to help equip churches and ministry leaders, pastors, to help them understand how people get stuck, why they often stay stuck without help, and how they can embark on a healing journey toward true and lasting freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I I like that um, a lot. Obviously, I think it's a really important issue in our culture, right? That maybe we don't talk about enough. And so it sounds like you found a lot of people whose churches maybe felt inadequate to the task. 
Yes, that was the in, sort of the inspiration behind it. But on the other flip side of it, when I wrote the book, I didn't want to just say, hey, this is, <laughs> this, is what you're, this is all the things you're doing wrong. Right. Went to churches. I interviewed more than 70 pastors, ministry leaders, Christian counselors, people who had been through recovery, who were talking about, this is my church, and this is how they did it well. And this is what mm. you can do at your church. So it, it is a very empathetic, not a condemning uh, book. It's all about how do we equip the church to take real action? How do we equip ministry leaders to take real action today? Yeah, absolutely. All right. And I love the title too, The Healing Church, because isn't that what the gospel is all about, right? The gospel is good news and it is about freedom. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. We, um, it's It's interesting that uh, as we were, uh, our publisher, uh, we'd submitted that title to them and they were like, oh, we tried to come up with about a thousand different other titles for you. And we kept coming back to that. That one's the best because that's what this is all about. We are a healing church. You know, I had a pastor who I interviewed for the book and he was, he said something pretty tough. And this is, this, this is going to sound tough to a lot of listeners. He said, often the church have become, has become an institution of respectability rather than the hospital where the great physician can do his work. Wow. And uh, yeah, well, that's hard. Yeah, that is hard. That And that should, for those of us, like I have some pastoral training and for those of us who care about the future of the church and care about what the church is doing, how we represent ourselves, I mean, that cuts to the heart, right? That's like, no, 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 this is not, that's not what the gospel is. That's not what the kingdom of God is. I love that. Also, I want to just say kudos to the designer of this book. A little bit of a play on uh, the Red Cross kind of uh, uh, the idea and, and logo. I think that's super smart. Well done. Okay. So I love this. We're going to talk about the book. We'll talk about what Covenant Eyes does and we'll talk about all of that. But I really want to hear your story as well, because that's what we do on the show. We talk about the the all of the ups and the downs of the spiritual journey. So I don't even know where you grew up. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? <laughs> I'm a native of Indiana. I grew oh, yeah. up in Kentucky and Florida. Okay. And so where does us all begin? Where does it really connect to the healing church? My story is so much like most people's stories who find a compulsive or addictive behavior with pornography. And so when I tell my story, I, I in, a, in a newcomer meeting, I, I lead a newcomer meeting for Samson Society. It's a community of Christian men who are supporting one another, who fighting back against something that's bigger than they are, often pornography and unwanted sexual behavior. And I always go first and tell my story because... Uh, when you go first, you become the safest guy in the room. Yeah. And what's so curious is what, and what is so common is that their stories all sound just like mine. And what I found through writing the book and over my years at Covenant Eyes is Christian counselors say, yes, this is a classic way people find or enter compulsive behavior with pornography. I was 10 years old when I was first exposed to pornography. And though I grew up in a Christian home, I didn't turn away. I stepped forward. I, as I remember walking out of my home in Florida, 
and my brother was leaning against his car and with his friend and they he's 10 years older than me and they were looking at a magazine sideways and that didn't make any sense to me how can <laughs> you read sideways i know i'm dating myself a little bit here how do you read sideways i said what are you guys looking at and I, you, I know, you know but you know what here's the interesting thing like you just say that like everybody knows exactly what was happening right 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 yeah yeah <laughs> right so um they turned it around and like every kid, I was naturally curious about what the opposite sex looked like without clothes. And then his friends unfolds the, 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 the rest of the magazine. He says, well, you don't want to miss the good part, but I didn't even have the basic understanding of sex to understand. Well, what are you trying to communicate? That is such a common theme. Then the three common themes are early exposure, the ongoing use and repetition, and some drama or trauma that's happened early, as often early in life. It can happen other ways as well. But that was my story, right? It's that yeah. early exposure where dopamine kicks off and it gives you a spritz of something that feels good. And even though I don't understand what I'm feeling in my body, I'm naturally picking up these cues. And dopamine also works with a neurochemical called norepinephrine. And norepinephrine comes with things with fight or flight, things that are shocking, uh, unexpected, right? Yep. And those work to help burn neural pathways in the brain that re help you remember that emotional event. That's why almost everybody, mm. every adult listening right now, can tell you a story about the first time that they were exposed to pornography. It's That's how impactful that can wow. be. And if you think today that in 2007, we released the iPhone, and before that, we had the iPod. So we've been carrying around in our pockets the world's largest library of pornography ever created in the history of mankind. And it was so much more impactful than what I saw, even though I can tell you a full story. Yeah. I also had a friend. His dad had pornography that was falling out of his closet. Uh, it looked a little like a waterfall. And if you can imagine just your basic closet and at the top, there is a shelf, and there are stacks of pornography there that are falling yeah. over, and there's a pile of it on the floor, and I could take anything I wanted, and I did. Wow. So that ongoing use and repetition begins building those neural pathways in the brain that crave it more and more. Number three was, go ahead. I think well, so what I, wa I wanted to just emphasize this point, because I think it's really fascinating what we know today about neurology and how all that stuff works. And you're referring to the chemicals and all that. This, like, it, there's more to it, right? Then I think a lot of us grew up with just, it's just bad, just don't do it. And there's a lot of shame that comes in because of that when, when really, so when you talk about the biology of it, it's like, okay, well, maybe there's, it's not an excuse, but if there's an explanation, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, go ahead and tell the third thing. And then I want to ask about some of your upbringing and kind of how some of that stuff worked for you. Yeah, of course. So even though I grew up in a Christian home, it was a hypocritically violent home. Mm, okay. So as I would feel fear and frustration and anger somewhere along the line, all that just, hey, that feels good, or I'm curious, flips to... I can escape. And I don't even realize that happens. And nobody does. But there becomes an escape, escapism wherever I feel fear, frustration, anger, lack of self-worth. Mm -hmm. And then 
those triggers, what I call C triggers, social, emotional, environmental triggers, as those kick off, you begin to associate, I felt this and I go to this. And so when I feel boredom, I can run to pornography. When I can't sleep at night, I can run to pornography. When I got bullied at school, when I didn't do well at my job, when whatever, 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 right? Yep. There's this instant attachment and connection to escapism with pornography. And it wheedles its way into your life and tells you so many lies on so many levels that you you become believing that this is one certainly natural because it's in every part of my neurology, my psychology, and how I think, what I believe, and it has become an idol in my life. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know about what your experience with God was like in in that. So it sounds like you found pornography early, but you were in this Christian home. And I love that, that phrase, hypocritically violent is pretty interesting, right? So um, were you were you, did you get caught up in a situation of feeling like being one way at a at church and a different way at home or oh my how, goodness. how did yeah. that go? Oh, like, uh, like many young Christian men, I threw away all my pornography. I threw it away at, mm, so many times. <laughs> I can't even count. It was, oh, I'm not going to do this again. God, I promise you, I'm never going to go down this road again. Uh, but all of that, was in secret because if I would have talked about it in my home, it would have been punishment versus mm -hmm. talking about it. it yeah. would have been. So there were red lines in the sand about what we do and what we say and what we think and what we say to others and what we let others in the church know, which by the way, that was a part of the hypocrisy is that we lived one way at home and another way in front of others. Yeah. Right. And that, that hypocrisy helped feed my own hypocrisy, saying, God, I want to be closer to you. I want to, I, I don't want this in my life. I'm going to, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try harder. And so yeah, I would right. try harder. And that would only last so long until the right triggers would hit again. And then I would run back to porn. Yeah. As a spiritual formation guy, I mean, that's, that seems pretty right. Like it, we even, and we can relate this to any behavior, right? So we sometimes, as evangelicals, it's read the Bible and pray and whatever. But even just doing those things doesn't always, as a behavior, doesn't change. doesn't change who you are, right? There's a way to approach them. Um, interesting. Okay, so you're living with this sort of feeling of hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. And what, what was your experience of God like, though? So it sounds like, because that can sometimes oscillate back and forth, right? Intense intimacy and like get rid of all the things and then, oh, yeah. and then distance. Like, how did that go for you? I, I, that's a, that's a, such a long answer that I, I feel like I can go in so many ways, but you know, I really knew scripture. Um, our, we would play scripture on a record player in my home. Okay. So it, it was being poured into me. We went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. There was a Thursday night Bible study, probably Friday night, teen night. There might be any number of things going on. Um, so there was this, that, that double life, that carrying both was very difficult. And so many men and young men are very good at compartmentalizing and 
So I think that's what I did with a lot of that. I can could compartmentalize that one part and repeatedly ask for forgiveness for that sin in my life. And probably like many listeners here thought, well, when I get to high school, I'll be around more mature people. And so that now mm. I'll, I'll be smarter and better and I'll get rid of this. Uh, when I, I've talked to a number of seminary, uh, people who are missionaries and pastors and ministry leaders, and they thought, well, when I go to their Christian college, I know that uh, I'll be around other Christians, and so I'll be much stronger, and I'll be able to defeat this in my right. life. And that didn't work, and so then they go to seminary, and they said, well, because I'm <laughs> around not just Christians, but elite Christians. That ain't going to help. <laughs> now I'm and that didn't work. And so they thought, well, when I go into mission field or and go a pastor part of a church and service in the church, man, I'm going to be really dedicated to my work. And that didn't work either. And so they're now they're they've never dealt with the underlying roots, the underlying pain, the underlying struggles, the underlying lies of pornography. And so they never really find that for them. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. Why, oh my goodness! Why? Why did that pastor have that struggle? He was. We just kick him out, and we never. We keep shooting our wounded. Right. But yeah. Instead of applying the gospel to them, right? Instead of applying grace to, hey, this is a this is a thing that uh, somebody's experiencing. Okay. Well, that's what I'm interested in. It sounds like that's something that that you uh, also experienced. Very fascinating. I think the idea of keep going, well, okay, some at this point it'll get better, at this point it'll get better, and finding that it's not getting better, and you're going, okay. Oh, then, oh by the way, don't forget marriage, because marriage is going to fix all of this. We'll never have to worry. Oh, read. man. Okay, let's talk about purity culture for a minute, right? Shall we? Because <laughs> yeah. absolutely, and those are the messages. I don't I don't know. I don't know how much, uh, you know, how, how old you are compared to me. I grew up 80s and 90s, right? And that was very much purity culture messages, right, that were... Marriage will fix everything. Marriage, you know, that'll that'll if you're faithful beforehand, then you'll it'll all be good afterwards. And now we're finding out. And there's research about this. That doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. So, in my own story, I flipped the other way. I didn't go to a Christian college. I went to a, a secular college. Uh, I so pornography followed me from middle school to high school to college, into my marriage. And my wife really comes to Christ through my sister. She's my sister-in-law, but mm-hmm. she was she be she was my sister. <laughs> my brother was sixteen years older than me, and and uh, she was just that close. And my wife is attending a small church in our current community. In fact, the same church we attend today. That's twenty-something years ago. Oh, right? Wow, that's amazing. And uh, so she's taking our babies to this this church. And I have by this time become pretty agnostic. There's, I believe that there's a God. I just don't know if he has any interest in me. And I don't know if all this teaching is quite right. Okay. You got to tell me about that, Sam. So I got pause right there for just a second, because I want to hear the rest of that story, but fascinating. So growing up in Christian home, kind of having a relationship with God, it sounds like where you, where you were going back and forth, but why did you, how did you become agnostic? What happened? What was that journey? When I think some of it became the agnostic, the 
hypocrisy in my home that looked a lot like agnosticism mm-hmm. in a way, even though it was like, uh, wow, it would never been said as such, right? Would never been even compared. How can you even say that? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think it was a natural drift, you know, uh, casting crowns had that song slow fade, mm-hmm. pretty good description. What's interesting that I found in the research of the book is pornography has a, is there's a direct relationship between pornography use and feelings of closeness to God, uh, doubts about faith. So these were studies that come out of the university of Oklahoma. In other words, some of them are secular studies. In fact, they found a direct relationship between how much pornography one uses and whether you'll, uh, serve on a committee or a volunteer role in your church over the next six years. What what's the relationship? Uh, a total decrease, right? So a okay. decrease. You it's un, you'll be less likely to serve over the next six years. Is what I'm sure. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. So, um, what was what's interesting is that while these studies show a direct relationship between lesson scripture reading, lesson prayer life, etc., churches that were doing this work well were reporting. All just the opposite, as I read mm. this book, increased scripture life uh, and prayer life, uh, church attendance. And pastors were saying, Sam, you have to understand, I don't do more now, I do less, because I have volunteers that are willing to step up and say, hey, I'll take that. I'll, I can do that. Wow. Pastor, I'll do that job. Because having had a spiritual awakening, you really want to give back. Then that's right. part of the process, right? Yeah. So having created a safe place and a safe process, that's where people are f- stepping in to that. Yeah, I love that. So in your experience, you got to agnosticism by just slow drift. Did you wonder if the gospel was effective for you, if it applied to you, if God could show up? You know, that's, that's a few, de- some decades past. Yeah, and that's okay. If not, if you, if it's not a story you remember, I'm just curious. It was probably it had a lot to do with, I don't think I can live it. I don't think I can live it out. I okay. can't keep this up. My performance will never be equal to this. I'll never be worthy. And the more they lack, you doubt your worth, which is what pornography is teaching. That's what the studies are showing is yep. the decrease that, uh, Christian students were reporting that my pornography use hurts my relationship with Christ, right? We know that. What's also interesting is I work for an organization called Covenant Eyes and people who use our accountability software are saying in our reviews with them that they are using Covenant Eyes on their phones, tablets, computers to draw closer, to have a greater and closer relationship with Christ. Right. So it, all of this sort of goes full circle. You get, you get the idea of it. Yeah. 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 I do. Yeah. Okay. Think, That's really fascinating that you weren't sure you could live it out if you were really believing. Cause I think that's part of the, we can call it the lie. We can call it whatever you want, but that's part of the, the degradation that comes of faith. Uh, through this and part of the, also it's a lie on the church's end too, right? Well, if you got, if you, you gotta, you gotta live it out. You gotta be perfect. You gotta do, you gotta look like this. 
And if we believe that the Christian life looks like something specific, or I mean, there's there there are markers, right? I'm not saying that it doesn't look like anything, but if we if we believe that we and we can't live up to that bar, you're just never going to get there, right? So there's this thing called the addiction cycle, and at the top is wounds, which helps create a belief system, which is underneath that. And that belief system is susceptible to triggers of whatever it is, social, emotional, environmental triggers that I talked to you about before, Yep. which can make you run toward that thing that whether it is uh, a little Debbie Swiss roll, okay, admittedly guilty there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then you begin fantasizing about it, thinking about it, you act out about it, and then you feel this increased shame what I call self-hatred at my expense, shame, mm-hmm. self-hatred at my expense. So you have this self-loathing that I'll never get this right. I'm never going to get this, work this. I'm never going to be good enough, which reinforces the belief system that was impacted by the wounds that says, see, your your self-worth isn't, it. so what you need to do is you can perform. And if you perform well enough, others will love you because if they really knew who you were, behind the scenes, behind the facade, they really wouldn't love you. That is the truth behind just about every addiction, that there is a doubt that if you really knew me, would you really love me? Is is God's grace really sufficient in your eyes for me? (laughs) Which, Which is fascinating, right? Like, isn't that the thing that really is good news about the gospel, that you are loved by God, who is love himself. Absolutely. Wow. And okay. That authenticity, that just builds that intimate connection that empowers me to make better choices. When I tell you, Eric, how I fell and what's going on, and you say, well, let's like dig a little deeper into that. What happened? What was going on before? How did that go? How can we react next time? And now you're empowering me. You're helping me. You're making me not just think about, oh, look, I failed. You're asking me to dig a little deeper. And as I dig deeper, that allows me to make better choices to, instead of anesthetizing my emotions and regulating my Mm. mood, pornography, now I I can truly run to my heavenly father. I can really allow the gospel to penetrate every part of my my mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So for you, what happened? How did you get, it sounds like this was a, was a thing that was with you, uh, an experience for, for a long time. How did you find grace in it? My wife is attending this church and she asked if I will join her. Uh, the kids are going, they were doing some fun things. It's a hayride. Hey, we'd come join us for this hayride. And they weaseled me into a hayride, <laughs> a great night of fun and activities. And she says, Hey, there's this, there's this um, marriage class that I'd really like for us to go to. And I knew our marriage needed help. And they were a curious bunch because they would close the door after the, everybody got into the, the classroom area and they would turn and look at everybody and say, listen, this is a safe place. What is said here stays here. And I can tell you, nobody in that class ever said a single word of all the horrible things that people said about what they did, what they said to their spouse, the things that they did in some vengeful way. 
the anger they showed, the yelling, the all of the other problems that they really needed to work on, right? Yeah. And people said, and it was always ended with, oh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for coming in here. And they weren't given a bunch of, well, why did you do that? And shouldn't you have this scripture? <laughs> I was amazed at how graceful this was. And I was like, wait, isn't everybody supposed to be corrected here? Isn't everybody supposed to have a little lesson over their particular little sin in their marriage? And the more in that kind of atmosphere, that is where I also discovered pornography could be addictive and compulsive. And for me, that was a great relief. Mm. From a secular point of view, evolution didn't make me this way. Yeah. From a, a gospel point of view, <laughs> God didn't make me this way. And I didn't have to stay this way. Yeah. And with support of brothers in Christ, I got to begin taking a journey. And I would love to tell you it was like instant fix, but it was not. Uh, over the next years, as I began learning and understanding and growing, talking with, with my brothers, then I could really find a, a life of real freedom. Yeah. Okay. First, so what I hear you saying and what I absolutely love is that you found a place where you could be authentic about this part of your life, part of yourself, and where you could be accepted still and be confident in that. Was that hard to to talk about or were you, oh my did, other, did others break that, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that barrier there? You know, uh, a lot of that barrier began breaking down as others mm. talked about their struggles. Yeah. Some for some of it, them they yes, hey, they were, were struggling with pornography. For some, they were had struggled with drugs or alcohol or other issues in their life. But they were all doing the same thing. They were running from how they, from their emotions, from uh, they have created patterns in their life that didn't allow relationship with others to bring healing or to even address the wounds that were the, that were the underpinnings, the roots of the acting out in the first place. Yeah. It sounds like that. So fa I find this really fascinating. So friends, I just want to punctuate this for you and just say, um, the authenticity is so powerful. It's so important for our relationships. This is how we grow. Right. I mean, and I know that's not like, earth shattering, but I think what is earth shattering is when we can accept one another as we are, right? Because Jesus accepts us as we are. And that is a very important um, distinction. So what can you do to do that? Maybe you need to be the first person to take the vulnerable step of sharing. Maybe, maybe you need to just listen to to someone and say, yeah, me too, or whatever, whether it's pornography or it's something else there. Um, having a community like this, like that's what the church is supposed to be like. Right. I think sometimes we romanticize the early church like, Oh yeah, they, they, they knew how to do it. And we read these like three verses in acts two and we're like, Oh, that was a good time. Yeah. But then look, read all the other issues they were dealing with. And some of them you're like, Okay, that's crazy. I can't believe they're dealing. With, they were dealing with some of that stuff, and it included sexual sin, and it included people bickering, and it included all these things, right? Because that's just how people are. But it's the grace, right, that that the apostles called us to have toward one another, 
um, that I hear you experience there in that, in that class is kind of, is really powerful. God shows up in that. James 5.16 tells us to pray, for, uh, confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we mm-hmm. may be. We are so, uh, I might as well say it, we're pretty pathetic at that within the church. And I hear small church folk tell me, hey, Sam, we know each other. Uh, our kids go to school together. We've we've grown up together. And there's a number of reasons we know each other well. And it just doesn't feel safe to have be that vulnerable with someone in my small church. And then I go to large churches where there's 3,000 to 10,000 <laughs> people. And they say, Sam, you don't understand. I don't have someone that I feel close enough, that I know well enough that I can practice James 5.16. It's not the size of the church that's the problem. Yeah. We need to ask ourselves, what part of James 5.16 do we not believe? What part of James 5.16 can I not provide for my brother in Christ? How can I be a safe person for someone else? Wow. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I... Well, friends, if you get only one thing, I hope you. Get, I think you're getting a lot, of, a lot from this conversation. But if you're only going to get one thing, take that. Take take that one piece. How can I be a safe person for someone else? Who can be a safe person for me? This is where real community is born. This is where the spirit shows up. This is where, and you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be like anything. But you need. But those situations are so formative. Okay. And so this formed you. You said it took a, a few years and it took some time and you were open and you, you were doing it. Uh, how did you, um, how, how, so how did then from there, I want, I'm curious at how that changed your experience with the Lord. How did that, how did that adjust? We want to look back and say, hey, Sam, you were having leading this double life as a child, as a teenager, but my emotional experience of the Christ as a teenager and as a child, where many of them were so intense, I, I mm-hmm. had a deep affection for God. I wanted Him in my life, I, especially as a child. Teenage years, certainly. I think there's a lot of compartmentalizing that uh, I certainly did, and I think a lot of teens have experienced But when uh, it would seem, no, no one comes to the Father but through the Spirit. And the Spirit was doing a number on me because it would feel like I would go on Sunday mornings and the pastor ignored everybody else in the church and just talked to me. That's that's how it felt. I think I cried almost on on a regular basis while he's preaching or, man, it's hit me so hard. And I can remember that my life began to change dramatically right away uh, in, in many facets. Some things that were not changing, though, right away were was the issue of pornography or how it dealt with anger or um, things of that nature. And so I can remember uh, praying to God, Lord, take this away from me. I don't want this in my life anymore. I love you and I hate this, right? And porn and sex are one of the most, and food are among the most pernicious struggles because you can take away alcohol and drugs, but we are sexual beings 
Uh, we also need food. And so those things must be tempered and realigned and redeemed. And uh, so that I did indeed. I, and I, I know that God can do anything. He often releases people instantly of, of their addictions and struggles. I have no doubt about that. But often he says, my grace is sufficient. And I'm going to call, I want you to walk with me and your brothers in, in community in honesty with childlike helplessness and faith. And within that, that's where sanctification is really going to begin happening in your life. Because you were concerned about pornography, Sam. That's where you're really, you think, if I get rid of pornography, everything else in my life is just fine. But what happened is the corners of my life began to light up that were so dark. Mm -hmm. The closets that were closed began to open up. And now it wasn't just about pornography. It was about how do I have greater wholeness in Christ? Pornography was the presenting problem. But my wholeness and my heart and mind, body, and spirit in every, in every facet of how do I talk to my wife and my kids and how do I interact with others and how is, what does my vulnerability and compassion look like in my church? All of those things now become elevated in your heart and mind. Yeah, really interesting. I think you're right on with sanctification. And you're, you're sending my mind out into all these different places. Like even the idea of my grace is sufficient for you. Like, because even even if you're still struggling, grace is sufficient, right? It's, it's already covered on the cross, yeah. right? This this is the thing. Living into that reality, that's a different thing, and that may take time. Both with our friends and our relationships, as well as our church, we live on the spectrum of safety and yeah. grace. Interesting. And on one side of of it is, hey, you know, everybody struggles. It's it's okay. In fact, it's safe. You can tell anything you want. Hey, but we all have problems, but you're never really called to change. On the other side, Christians don't have problems. And if you have a stronghold in your life, you have an issue in your life, then maybe you really don't belong. And if you perform over here, you're accepted. But if you don't perform over here, then you're not accepted. And what we need is a safe place with a safe process where it's okay to come as you are. Yeah. But we leave you too much to leave you where you are at. Yeah, I love that. Okay. So it sounds like things begin to turn around for you. I'm curious how you ended up at Covenant Eyes and what that <laughs> what that has done for you. Um, um wow. That is just which, by the way, can you just tell us first of all what it is? Because I don't think I said that. So I, I know what it is, but tell our audience what Covenant Eyes does and then tell us how you got there. Yeah, so Covenant Eyes has been around for 23 years. Uh, it creates uh, accountability software and education to help people stop using pornography for good or never start. Yeah. And so that is, um, yeah. So we've been doing that. We've we're sort of on iPhones, iPads, um, you name it. Whatever device you're using, we'd love you can use Covenant Eyes on all your devices. Create one account for your family, and and by the way, if you'd like to try it today you can use a code safeguard and you won't find that 30 days free on our website but this provides you 30 days free that code safeguard all right uh so I will, i'll put that in the show notes by the way so uh 
for that's for one month free. One month free. All right. Uh, okay. So how did you end up there? Yeah. Wow. That, isn't that, you know, I think God just takes our, our maladies and our misery and can turn it into ministry. And so Covenant Eyes had been around for seven years uh, when I started. And uh, it was still a small company, <laughs> very small. <laughs> uh, and by the way, it's a company that we're, we're, it's owned by its employees. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So everyone you talk to is very, <laughs> very, you know, they, it's part of their mission in life to help others. So uh, it's really, this is a sort of a long story. You, you're okay with that? I'll try I got to time. I got time. As much as I can. My wife came to me one day and said, hey, you know that uh, organization, Covenant Eyes, that uh, our friend works with at, at, at our church? She goes, oh, yeah, they're doing amazing work. And uh, she goes, well, they need someone that can do some things that you do, like writing, and and uh, you have experience in communications, et cetera. They could really, I think they, you'd be a good fit. And she knows how I've struggled. And, but I'm still shy about all this, right? In some ways, I don't know if shy is the right word, but uh, I feel like my career is going well. I've got, I've, and uh, so I wasn't looking for a job, in other words, but I went and talked to, uh, she says, uh, well, I, I've been praying about it. And the only thing I think you need to do is give them a call. That's your only requirement. And I said, well, honey, you know, I have a job and I think, you know, I, I could give them a call. And she goes, no, no, no. Would you promise me you're going to give him a call? <laughs> and she's usually not like that. That's not her. That's not how she re typically reacts to those kinds of things. And I said, okay, I, I, I will give them a call. And so I did. I went in and did a, the typical interview thing. And the response to all that was to begin handing me emails that they had printed out. And these emails said things like, thank you for what Covenant Eyes has done in my life. You just helped me have the most amazing conversation with my teen son. Thank you so much for what you're doing at Covenant Eyes. Our marriage is finding new trust and uh, restored relationship. Thank you for what Covenant Eyes has done. I wouldn't have made it through seminary without without your support. And so all these things are just really heavy. But in my sort of flesh idea, I said, Lord, you bless them because I'm going back to my office now because they were in these ramshackle if you were if you've ever been into a small town where walmart moves in and that little downtown dries up that's what yep. this was wow. and so there were tiles missing from the floor there were tiles missing from the ceiling they had a server sitting on a cardboard box and the running joke was before you go to the bathroom be sure to uh, crack the ice in a toilet and so we live in michigan <laughs> that's a real thing right <laughs> wow okay so i um I had no, uh, I just, I, I committed to pray about it, but my, my heart really wasn't into it because I was thinking about me. Yeah. And I don't try to convince people that God speaks to you directly or through your subconscious or through what have you. I just, I'm driving home from my office and I hear a clear voice in my head that says, Sam, your whole career has been about you. This is what I need you to do for me. Wow. And if you've never had those chills, well, <laughs> that's what they were all over me. And I immediately said, I'm not doing, I'm doing absolutely nothing about this. I'm not, I'm not calling them. I'm not doing that typical thing where you call back and ask for a second interview or write them a nice note and thank you for an interview. I said, God, this is in your hands. 
And so they invited me back uh, or they sent me an, uh, a phone call and asked if I'd come back for a second interview. I said, yeah, all right, I'm going in. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I showed up. They didn't interview me a second time. They just said, this is all we can afford to pay. And I says, well, God's going to make this work. And they're like, wait, 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 don't you need to talk to your wife first? And I was like, no, we've got, we've got that part covered. That's, yeah. and that's, that's, I remember um, my first weeks in these little ramshackle offices at the time. And God has blessed us in so many ways since then. But I'm taking calls from all kinds of people and talking to them. And I remember talking to a pastor's wife and she's saying he's watching pornography on Saturday night and preaching on Sunday morning and it's killing him. It's killing us. And I, I, went, I would go home at night and say, honey, this feels like I'm plucking souls from hell. That's what it, it feels like. Now I know that's not my responsibility, right? Yeah, but yeah. it just feels like people are in such pain and such hurt over pornography and it's having such an impact on their marriages and, and in so many ways in their life. And to be able to provide resources and education and and tools for people to use was just a dream. How how can God use wow. me? You know, like this. And it was I'm I've been grateful for 16 years. It's just been an, an amazing opportunity for wow. How fascinating. See, that's that's so great though to hear the story of how God led you there and even against your will, right? You're like, I don't know if I want to do this. Uh, so good. Uh, because you know that it's it's him working. And so it sounds like he's taking care of you as well. Um, okay. I want to ask one more question. Again, the book is The Healing Church, friends. Make sure you pick it up. But how can, I mean, obviously this, this will help, how the, you know, what churches get wrong about pornography and how to fix it. But what's something, like if you could tell our friends now, if they they hear this and they're like, I want to create that safe space. I want to be that safe space in my church. What's one thing that you can tell them to do or uh, what are a steps, a series of steps, whatever it is right now? Well, one step you can do right now is download the, uh, a free chapter of the healing church at thehealingchurch.com. You can buy the book wherever you normally buy books online, but you can download that first chapter at thehealingchurch.com. And I think why I say that is we need to have a baseline of understanding. Knowledge precedes understanding and understanding precedes change. Yep. So if we can understand how people get stuck, why they are seem to stay stuck, and how they can really begin taking steps on a journey to freedom, then we can provide some action plans in our own community. We can have some empathy for how what for their struggle and recognize that this is a beautiful and perfect time for deep discipleship. I've heard this over and over again, that because the, the struggle is, is so condemning, so shameful, so impactful in their life, they can't get out on their own. What they need is a close companion and, and, and fellow Christians who will help in that discipleship of that person. And that when that person is deeply discipled and begins understanding more deeply about the impact of pornography on their life and can take those first steps of freedom, man, it became it becomes a game changer in the church. Now, listen, we need to create safe communities in the church. I'll talk about how to do that. How do we begin creating a culture in the church where it's not just 
permissional, like, hey, those folks over there, they talk about pornography, that's okay, but becomes missional to the church of how do we address the wounds in people's lives well? And how can we, how can we be that kind of church? I don't, I also arm people with tools because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's lots of resources that are currently available, available to help. And so I call them a, a an easy lift, like this is something you can do today, a small lift. And then like an easy lift is we, Covenant Eyes provides a, a free app called the Victory App by Covenant Eyes. There's more than 30 courses in there that really help people understand how they got where they're at and how to begin taking that steps toward freedom. So that's an easy lift. It's free. Uh, we have a program called Strive, and you can find it at strive21.com. It's a 21-day detox from pornography. Right? Simple, easy. No no lift from really anyone, uh, except that you have to go do it, right? Yep. So the easy lift, small lift, medium lift, and large lift, I help explain that in the church about how we can begin making incremental steps toward exponential change. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I love that. I think friends, there is a place. I, I loved the idea. I, I wish I could just spend like an hour pushing into this idea of, um, rather than it being like, Oh, uh, people over there, it's the kind of church we are, right? Like the way you talked about that becoming a missional church. Imagine friends, if your church was a church, maybe it is, maybe it is. But what if we had so many more of them where this is the place where people come to be healed, right? Whatever, whatever the, whatever the issue is that you're, that you're um, dealing with, what if that's a, what if your church is a place where people can come to f encounter the risen Jesus, bring the kingdom of God to bear on their life and um, share it. Like that's, that's, wouldn't that be amazing? Isn't that what we all want? Okay. Take that step. So again, the book is called the healing church. It's at thehealingchurch.com. You can get it there. There's links at halfwaythereapodcast.com as well. Sam, I really appreciate you sharing some of your story and sharing some of uh, some of these resources. I've got links to every single one at uh, on the show notes there. Is there anything you want to leave us with? I think one of the things that someone is probably feeling right now is, wow, I would like to have that kind of friend. I would like to be that kind of friend. I would like something. So yeah. if, if what, what what we do is we think about it a little bit and then nothing really happens. That procrastination kills good intentions. So do something now. And one of the simplest things you can do now is download it like this free app, the, uh, the Victory app by Covenant Eyes. And just begin stepping in to a little more knowledge and understanding so that you can create meaningful change in your life and the life of someone else. Just one step, friends. You can do it. Sam, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Briefly to be here.